Hi, and welcome to this episode of the Two Weird Hungry Girls podcast. I'm Phoebe. I'm Tracy. Tracy. What? What is the term? <laughs> what is, I hope I'm not putting my foot in my mouth. What does that mean? What that means the, don't say something stupid. I know, I, and it's going to come out. Okay, but but what, no. is the, what does it mean when you say to someone, are you pickled? Does oh. that mean like you've had too much to yeah, drink? Yeah, if you're pickled, you're drunk. Okay. Yeah, it's like you've been soaking in okay. the... In, in the liquor bottle for okay. something. And <laughs> okay. Why You've are been, you pickled? No, I'm not pickled. Uh-huh. No, I'm drinking like uh, I don't know sun tea from the uh-huh. Magic Land of Starbucks. Is it fermented? <laughs> you maybe you're pickled. No. Wait, is pickling fermenting? That was one of my questions. Oh well, I can't answer that for you. But if guess you who can? Gonna, who? <laughs> don't tell me. I know. What? Tracy, it's like a bonus <laughs> podcast for you. No, because we have a special guest. I know. Okay, I'm not supposed to know, but I do. And you I'm do know. I, still again. I know you're going to be excited. We have a very <laughs> special guest with us, Marisa McClellan. She's a blogger, author, canning teacher. We have to ask her about that. And she's based out of her 80 square foot kitchen down in Center City, Philadelphia. She's the author of Food in Jars. Food in Jars. Yes. People. You know. You know you've heard of Food in Jars. And yes. you know you love Food in Jars. And this is, this is, sorry. Okay, This is Food in Jars. Yes. This is Food in Jars. And saying. she's also authored Preserving the Pint. Naturally Sweet Food in Jars is her most recent cookbook where she talks about and shares recipes for naturally sweetened, non-refined sugar free recipes. Right. Yes. So welcome, Marisa. Hi. Thank you. Welcome Hello. Back. I know. Yes. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to be here again. Yes. So Tracy and I have this question and I'm so glad you brought it up because that was one of my questions about pickling. Uh Uh-huh. What makes pickling different than fermenting? And we're not even talking scobies. (gasps) Oh, no. That's a different topic. We're not talking scobies. I mean, but anyway. (laughs) Are you into scobies, Marisa? Um, I, I do have a, a SCOBY. I have a hardworking SCOBY sitting in a vat of tea on my kitchen counter right wow. now. Is it is it actively producing kombucha right now, or is it just sitting there? It's actively producing, but it's it's about to the end of its run, so I need to swap it out because it's 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 tangy. It's ready. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, interesting. Well, that's a whole nother. You'll have to look up our. We have several <laughs> podcast about. episodes about <laughs> yeah. SCOBYs. Yes, we've okay. tried. I've it's tried. It's been a fun adventure. But what's the difference, anyway. Marisa, between fermenting and pickling? For people well, who don't know. The, the, the way I tend to break it down is actually that there are multiple kinds of pickles. There are vinegar pickles. There are fermented pickles. Um, there are sort of, and then there's subsets within the fermented world as far as pickles, whether it's a brined pickle or a salted pickle. So they're all pickles. But it's just a matter of whether you're fermenting something um, or pickling it in vinegar. And so the, really, the difference is that when you ferment something, you're adding salt to create a um, beneficial bacteria, a beneficial environment for the lactobacillus bacteria. And it's going to eat up the carbohydrates in the vegetables and um, its, its sort of output is going to be an acidic liquid. Whereas when you pickle something with vinegar, the um, those lactobacillus bacteria have already worked on either, you know, whatever vinegar you're using. So if it's apple cider vinegar, they transformed that apple cider into vinegar. Uh So it's already an acidic environment. And then you're submerging the vegetable in that acidic environment. Interesting. You know, I never thought of it that way. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a little bit of a food journey from like the salt fermented. And then you would use that kind of vinegar that it would produce. Is that what you're saying? Like in a technical way? Well, not exactly. So like when you vinegar it, but vinegar is a fermented 
substance. Right. You know, the way you make vinegar is you take, you know, wine or apple cider or some other kind of um, mash. You know, white distilled vinegar is often made from a corn mash and um, then distilled out from that. And so when you make vinegar, it is also a process of fermentation. So the vinegar has already gone through that process of transformative fermentation to become vinegar. And then you use that vinegar to pickle something. Or you allow the vegetable to go through that transformative process to become an acidic pickle. Hmm. Do all pickles need to be heat treated? Um, Not all pickles are heat treated and not all pickles should be heat treated. Um, You know, we are... In our culture here in the U.S., we think when you say the word pickle, the first thing that pops into most people's mind is cucumber. Mm-hmm. Right. And you certainly can buy lots of shelf-stable preserved cucumbers out there. People make them a lot. But I actually feel like cucumbers don't make the best heat-processed pickle because they lose their texture often. They get a little bit soft. They lose their crunch. And so I prefer to do cucumbers as a refrigerator pickle because they stay crispier. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, something like a, a green bean, that does a really, it really holds up in a water bath and stays nice and crisp and crunchy. Mm. Have you ever done freezer pickles? You know, I haven't done a lot with freezer pickles. Mostly, mm-hmm. it's something that I've been curious about for a long time, but I only have the freezer that's attached to my refrigerator, and mm-hmm. it is always full to bursting. And so I just have never been able to clear out the space necessary to do a batch of freezer pickles. Okay. Well, one of our listeners had a question for you, and I think that framing it with uh, vegetables in mind, but even maybe like chutney use or fruit, she said that she often overbuys at market, or she buys at market, or has a CSA, and she's heading out on vacation and has excess vegetables and fruit that are sometimes just sitting on the counter, giving her the evil eye. Mm -hmm. Like, she wants to make sure that they're being used. Is pickling an easier way to quickly preserve um, or is can you put things aside in the freezer to bring them out later to pickle or to can them for a sweet or savory application so if you so there are multiple answers there so you don't want to freeze vegetables that you're then going to later pickle because when you freeze something you make the water inside that vegetable expand and what that does is it breaks apart the cell walls and so you have texture loss as it defrosts. So with, when it comes to vegetables, if you want them to have sort of any crunch or crispness left, you're not going to want to freeze them and then defrost them and pickle them. In that case, the best thing to do is pickle them, um, you know, even if you're sort of pickling until the last minute before you leave on vacation, which let me tell you, I have done. Um, I have been in that situation more than once in my life. Um, so if you want if you want to pickle them, it's better to do them and not go through the intermediate step of freezing them. If you have fruit and you want to either make it into jam or chutney or fruit butter later on the line, that you can freeze because it's, it's always going to create a softer product if you Mm. start with frozen fruit, but it works pretty well. So you can go either way with the fruit. The fruit is easier. You can freeze that to use then as a chutney or a jam. Yes. It's a little more wiggle room, but the vegetables aren't going to do so well. Mm -hmm. That makes sense though. And I'm curious then with pickling, Is there a favorite recipe that you have from the books that's kind of like a starter recipe? Because I would love to do refrigerator pickles, and I don't know what it is. I can 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 with, um, you know, the pectin and the sugars, but there's something about pickling that has me very intimidated. Is there Hmm. something that's an easy start to pickling? 
like pickling 101 yeah absolutely so there is a a recipe in the new book in naturally sweet food in jars for a minty pickle spear cucumber spear pickle um and it's super easy and it's a refrigerator pickle and really essentially all you do is cut the cucumbers into spears you put some spices at the bottom of the jar you add some fresh mint you boil a combination of one part apple cider vinegar one part water a little salt and a little honey and as soon as it as soon as the it comes to a boil you pour it over the vegetables you let it cool to room temperature and then you put it in the refrigerator and within two or three days it's delicious Hmm. so that's a really easy one they're not a lot of steps not a lot of ingredients you just kind of make it let it cool and put it in the refrigerator that sounds easy, does, right? We yeah. can do that one. Yes. I'll let you try my pickles. You can, okay. <laughs> my you can absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a chutney and a jam? Both both are sweet, aren't they? When you're well, looking at a recipe. Well, so a jam is just sweet, whereas a chutney is sort of sweet and savory and also has um, an acidic edge. So when you make jam, it's just fruit and sugar, maybe some lemon juice, pectin if you need it, some spices. When you make chutney, it is fruit and onions and maybe some dried fruit and sugar and spices and vinegar. And so they are both fruit-based products, but a chutney is more that sweet and savory combo, whereas jam is just sweet, sweet. Mm-hmm. I love chutneys. You do? Yes. Do you make chutneys? No, but okay. now I want to. And you're looking through She's looking through I'm your looking book. I'm looking for, for your black chutney plum re- chutney, chutney here. Chutneys are so easy because there's less nuance to cooking a chutney than there is to making a jam because you're not worried about a set point or anything like that. You just fling it, all of the ingredients in the pot and cook it down until it's thick and sticky. Yeah. That's it. And that's one that you can can in a hot water bath, but can you freeze a chutney? Yeah, absolutely. There's no reason why you couldn't freeze a chutney. Um, you know, if you have the freezer space, any of the, really any of the jams, um, chutneys, fruit butters, you can always opt to freeze them rather than can them. It's really just up to you. I never freeze things because, again, freezer space. So for me, the whole goal is to get things out of the fridge and out of the freezer and in a shelf-stable situation. But if you've got lots of freezer space, you can just let that jam cool, that chutney cool, put it into jars you leave a little bit more headspace when you're freezing than when you're canning to account for the expansion and then you just freeze it wonderful oh my god oh she's looking at your fig uh-huh. your fig jam <laughs> fig jam with time what are some of your favorite flavor combinations and i'm curious because i mean i love to cook seasonally how do you decide that time works well with figs when you're creating these recipes mm. a lot of times people become stumped when they see a fruit and they think just to put it in a smoothie. And I think that people are sometimes um, intimidated about what flavor to use or spice or herb. Can you give any suggestions on pairing when people are using your recipes? Sure. Well, when I, when it comes to developing a jam recipe, um, you know, I've been doing this for a long time, so I have a fairly um, expansive understanding of what flavors go together. But with whenever it comes to like pairing fruit with herbs, I really just look at it and think, okay, so I know this herb to be sort of like rosemary is one I use a lot and it's a little sharp and it's woodsy. And, um, so I want to find something where it also has elements of either sort of complementary flavors to sharp and woodsy. So musky or sweet and try to figure out, okay, so what is that? So 
for instance, apricots I have, and I say, I keep using apricots as an example because I have about 20 pounds in my apartment right now. So I've been doing a lot with apricots this week. Um, but apricots, they pair up really wonderfully with all of those herbs because they're, you know, they're sweet and they're tart and they're a little bit sort of, if they're ripe, they're, they have that little bit of sort of muskiness and, and so those are just flavors that naturally go together with herbs really well. Um, with, with figs, you know, figs have so many, they play so many roles in savory applications that I knew that, okay, you often see perhaps like a pork chop with a, a fig compote. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, what are herbs that pair well with pork chops? Well, those are going to be, you know, thyme or sage, something like that. So obviously those are then spices that are, or herbs that are going to also pair pretty well with those figs. And so then it's often just a matter of like, well, I have this one in my kitchen, so let's see. I do a trial batch. If it's good, then it goes in a book. If it, you know, if it's not, it'll, you know, that'll go through several more rounds of recipe testing and sort of tweaking to figure out how to make it good. And if by the third or fourth time I can't make it delicious, it um, goes back on the idea heap. Wow. You have 20 pounds of apricots in your apartment. Oh my gosh. I do. (laughs) I have, I have a question because as you're talking about these pairings and, and the way you're putting things together, I, I think, wow, she, you're a total foodie. And then I thought, well, I wondered if you were a foodie before canning or if canning opened your world to becoming a foodie. Are you, do you think you're a foodie? I, I certainly think I am someone who is um, obscenely preoccupied with food. <laughs> I think you're I, a foodie. <laughs> I think, yes, I think about food an awful lot, um, and I've always been this way. My first full sentence when I was, like, 13 months old was, more mayonnaise, please. No. And, and so, <laughs> you know, I have always been interested in food, Um <laughs> So for me, it's it's just, it's what I think about. You know, I wake up in the morning thinking about, you know, different ways to incorporate pickles into salads. Uh-huh. Um, it's just, you know, <laughs> it's how my brain is wired. Yeah. So then which, so did the foodie come first and then the canning? I was, yeah. So I've been canning now for maybe 10 years, but I was certainly interested in food before that. And I did can as a kid, like my family, we, I grew up in LA and Portland, Oregon, and we always had access to a lot of either very cheap or free fruit. Mm -hmm. And so we always did a little canning and, um, I started doing it on my own about 10 years ago and haven't stopped since. Cool. Awesome. So so bring your kids into the kitchen with you so you can kind of create these memories. I'll create memories. And then my children will grow up and have fabulous blogs and books and and make amazing food. (laughs) At the very least, make amazing food for me. At least, yeah, at least cook for me, yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Marisa, for being a guest again on the podcast and answering our questions. And how can folks find you? Um, My website is foodandjars.com and there they can find links to my social media accounts, to my books. It's all there. Everything's on foodandjars.com. Cool. Wonderful. Thank you so much for the inspiration. Mm -hmm. Thank you. This has been fun. Yeah. So thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. This was a lot of fun. Thanks again, Marisa. And you can find, of course, her information at foodandjars.com and you can find us at phoebespurefood.com feel free to leave us a review. Let us know what you think, what you would like to hear more of, because I would love to bring you guests that inspire you in the kitchen Mm -hmm. or to live well. Yeah. Yeah. 
any of that. Yeah, so leave us a review. Let us know what you think. And uh, this was a lot of fun. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Hey there, listeners. Before you go, I'd like to share with you some questions that were sent in from listeners after the previous podcast with Marisa titled Jar Jamming. Marisa recorded answers, and I'm going to tuck them right into the end of this episode. So I hope you enjoy the little bonus with Marisa and learn something interesting about canning and food preserving. Thanks for tuning in, guys. The first question is, grandmothers used wax to seal preserves. And is it a safe and effective way to seal preserves then and now? So it's definitely not the most effective way to seal a preserve, and it's not recommended anymore. It used to be a very frugal and easy, approachable way for people to seal preserves because wax could be reused. But it, they have found that it doesn't provide a really good seal, um, especially if it's hot or cold. The wax can um, shrink, and then the seal breaks. So it's really not something that's recommended anymore. Um, and since the the lids, the two-piece lids, are so affordable, that's a much better way to um, process and seal your jars than using wax. Question two is, if I wanted to make some flavor changes to a canning recipe, are there any spices or liqueurs that would would fundamentally change the structure or render the mixture unsafe? So anytime you want to make small flavor tweaks to a recipe, if you're adding sort of one or two tablespoons of a liqueur or, you know, very small amounts of spices, then you're working sort of within a safe range. It's very easy to sort of customize a recipe to fit your needs in that way. Um, the only time I would caution is if you were using like a lot of herbs, like fresh herbs. So perhaps you wanted to flavor your preserve with basil. Um, the The trick to do it, doing it is you cook the preserve with the basil and then you pull the basil out or the mint or whatever sort of soft fresh herb you're using before you can it. Another way to do it is to um, infuse the sugar with those flavors and then um, pull the, the thing out and then use the infused sugar. So those are some safe ways to um, infuse flavors into your preserves. But as long as you're working in fairly small quantities of things like cinnamon, nutmeg, cardamom, or a liqueur like... Um, oh gosh, I don't know, like an elderflower, elderflower liqueur or something like that, you can easily add it without making any dangerous, making your recipe any dangerous. So the quest, third question is, someone called in and said she purchased an Instapot on Prime Day. Oh wait, I get it now. Here we go. So yes, I so someone wanted to know about my Instapot experience. I did purchase one on Amazon Prime Day. And I, when I use an Instapot, I'm not using it to process my jars. You, It is not recommended that you can or preserve in electric pressure cookers because they don't necessarily tell you how much pressure the contents of the pot are under. So I'm using my Instapot or Instant Pot actually I think is the appropriate name. I use my Instant Pot for things like cooking fruit to turn it into fruit butter because uh, for instance apples it eliminates the peeling step because the Instant Pot uses so much heat and pressure 
and cooks the apples in such a relatively short period of time that you are left with peels that will preserve, um, will puree, I should say, into the preserve very easily. So that's the kinds of things I'm using the Instant Pot for, not for pressure canning, but for prepping the food um, before it's being preserved. All right, I hope those are what you needed. Thanks, bye.